This is the Education Business Podcast for consultants and business owners providing services in schools. I'm Claire Riley, and I'll be sharing how to start, grow, and scale your education business. So today we're talking about how to make your education business profitable. And what a tricky thing to talk about, because the word profit can often make us squirm with guilt. So we look for ways to subconsciously minimize it. So from an outsider's perspective in education, so the perception of a person in education, the kind of thoughts they could possibly have, it means millions and that millions have been stolen away from the children. But we're just talking about fair exchange here. We're talking about being fairly rewarded for serving the education community and doing a good job. So the most important thing that we need to do is make sure that we get our head around feeling good about profit. So here are seven initial points I want to cover when it comes to being profitable. And there's so much more I could say, but this episode would be three hours. And I'm sharing deep today as well. It's not my most comfortable thing um, to talk about, but I know that you need to hear it. Classroom Secrets has always been profitable, but it hasn't felt that way. And I think that this will really help you understand. So number one, pay yourself. So this might seem like a familiar story. So in 2013, I started the company with £500 of my nerds money. And I did everything I could to get the money coming in. I tutored under the Classroom Secrets brand. I even got a supply agency to pay the lead company. So that all the money was going into one place and I just let, let that little pot grow. So Ed had a salary and we lived off that. I didn't even take a salary from Classroom Secrets at all for the first 10 months until my accountant found out and insisted that I should be paying myself the minimum. I think it was about £9,000 a year at the time. So I get this very little each month and in my head, it was just for national insurance purposes, like the accountant had said, um, to make sure that I was I was paying that. And I told myself that I didn't need the money, which was true, but that was a big mindset mistake. And that's when my waiting to get paid once a year mentality kicked in. To be honest, at that time, I would have waited years and years to get paid. Like my delayed gratification patience was so high, it was just extremely unhelpful. So I had a fair bit of money coming into the bank before I employed staff. I was just too scared to use it. I felt that maybe one day it would dry up and I didn't know what to do with it. And it wasn't that I was saving that money till the end of the year either. I just left all the money in. And then when I hired staff, I paid them instead. Obviously more than I paid myself. So I remember in 2016... Uh, three years in when I took the first amount that seemed significant and it was to pay for an extension um, knock through the kitchen and and a new kitchen and you might be thinking oh that must have cost a lot she must have taken a lot of money out but actually it wasn't that much it was less than an NQT salary and I'd earned that and saved it in the company over three years so when you break that down it was it was unacceptable when I think about it but that's what I did So this journey continued quite unhappily. And looking back, you know, I only had myself to blame. I was the one who set these expectations. I was the one who who did this. So then in 2018, um, just after we'd had a second baby, Ed joined the company full time, which the company could more than afford it. And the company had been able to afford it for quite a while. 
Um, but that added a sort of new level of pressure because then we were totally reliant as a family of four on the company. So because Ed joined, we had to start taking a salary that was different and we had to start paying ourselves like more instead of just waiting to get paid at the end of the year. But the problem is, is that I never really worked out what that should be or how to even manage it. And my accountant at the time, unfortunately, still encouraged me to leave it all in until the end of the year and pay ourselves then. And then as the revenue increased and the staff bill became extortionate, it was really difficult to see the wood for the trees when you're dealing with that amount of money. And as a family, we couldn't live on one and a half grand a month, which would have been the minimum that we could both take together. So each month I'd just guess at how much I could pay myself and Ed. And I'd always keep it stupidly low just in case at the end of the year, the company had not made enough profit and we ended up having to pay it back. I was just so confused. But what I am grateful for is that, you know, I was always overcautious, so we did never get into trouble, which was good. And, you know, as I've said, you might be thinking the company wasn't doing well, but the company had grown by 500%. This was all in my head. This was all in my mind. And the company had a lot of money in the bank, a lot of money. And so it's so silly when I when I look back, but it was just so overwhelming, the fact that there was so much money in the bank. So you know what I did? Instead of thinking, right, it's time Claire and Ed got paid for the years that they've practically worked for free because, you know, even before Ed joined the company in 2018, he worked every weekend and, and evening on the website and I worked all the hours God sent. Yeah, so instead of instead of paying Claire and Ed, I thought, okay, let's introduce a mass pay rise across the biggest department because I want to reward staff. And you might be thinking, oh, that was a lovely thing to do, but it was one of the biggest lessons I've ever had and I'll talk more about that in future episodes so it just dwindled the pots really with no tangible return because I didn't do it properly and then the pandemic hit and instead of believing that this was happening because I didn't know what I was doing and I must just be a bad person because that's what I believed I got to the point where I realized I had to take control and I took control and I made the changes that would be good for everyone and, you know, most importantly, in a really non-selfish way, finally good for me and Ed as well. So number two, use percentage pots. So a book that transformed my life was Profit First. And I run my accounts in a very entrepreneurial way, as most entrepreneurs do. And it's all about looking at the bank accounts and not looking at the accountant's reports. So back in the day when the revenue got really serious and I felt overwhelmed with the amount of money I was dealing with day on day, what I didn't realise at the time was that I needed a money mindset upgrade. And I decided that I wanted to set up some other bank accounts so that I could save for the tax and the wages because, you know, the wages is a huge expense for us because we don't buy stock. We've got a lot of team members. And so I set up all these accounts and I started using them. I started sidling money off in pots and I thought it was really clever. But the accountant wasn't happy with me and told me that I should close them because it was confusing the accounts and that I needed to just use the profit and loss statements. Not that they really um, helped me to understand <laughs> what I was doing with that. So I was just made to feel stupid. And so it was. I felt stupid. So, of course, now I know that that feeling was on me and not him. But it was all down to the way I felt about it all anyway. 
So I'd never been careless with money. If anything, I'd been too cautious. But I was struggling to see what should be for what. And without having bank accounts to organise millions coming in, I accepted the confusion and and the defeat that I felt. And I just ended up giving people what they asked for and putting me and Ed to the bottom of the pile, the last line of defence in that, well, you know, if we get paid last, at least there's always that money there for any cushioning that we need, which is not the way to run your business. So if your whole family relies on your business for income, you'll come to realise that you're actually putting your family last at the bottom. And that was a big realisation that I came to. So back to Profit First. So guess what? Mike Michalowicz, who wrote Profit First, runs his accounts in a very entrepreneurial way too. And he gives you a system that really works using bank accounts. And that ensures that you know what's what. So even the most savvy people get confused when the revenue becomes higher than you've ever believed that you deserve. And that's why you need the mindset upgrade. So now I run the accounts um, using Profit First and on percentages, and it's really, really helpful. So a percentage goes into the wages account, a percentage into the taxes, a percentage into owner's pay. So yes, now me and Ed get paid based on how well the company does that month not at the end of the year, a percentage goes into the profit account, a percentage into the expenses account, and then surplus goes into the vault for a rainy day. So this helps me know when we have the money to spend on things and know that I'm not spending mine and Ed's salary on a new role or someone else's training because that's what it was like before. It was like the current account was the vault and I couldn't see what was for saving, what was for a rainy day. So I just kept it all there. And if somebody wanted something, then we'd look at it, but I'd never pay myself. So it's even allowing me to see now where I can start up new accounts, like maybe a giving account or a staff bonus account. You don't have to start with a high percentage. You can start with 1%. You just need to start. So the third thing then, know that you'll resent it if you don't get paid properly. So I've already told my story, but this was the underlying theme. So if this does happen to you and you start to resent it, more than anything, you'll want your staff to understand. But they won't because it's not their job to. And they don't have the same knowledge as you in terms of what's really going on. But if you let the resentment continue and it goes on for years, you you could end up losing it all or even packing it in. So think carefully now how you can make the business work for you as well as everyone else. It's not just about everyone else, it's about you as well. Number four, know what is your responsibility. I've got two parts for this. So part one is the cost of things. So you need to be clear about what is your responsibility and what isn't. So with budget cuts, we can think it's our responsibility to bridge the funding gap for the government or take responsibility on that is not ours because we feel sorry for teachers. And that is such a fine balance. But what we shouldn't be doing is lowering our costs considerably because school budgets are tight. We need to be charging what we need to charge to make sure that we can still make a profit and we can still be fairly rewarded. And the second thing is about staff wages. So I did a mentoring session just last week where we had this conversation and... It was around this. So we build a company 
And then we're so in awe of what we've achieved and we've led people along with us and they've helped us to build it and we care for them and we, you know, we, we really, really want them to do well and we want to reward them for their loyalty to us. Usually when we haven't got anything out of it yet, but we're just like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much. Especially, you know, <laughs> if they've done um, a job for maybe what we consider to be quite little pay, even if it's more than we've paid ourselves. So we feel like we owe them a whole lot, promotions, more money, fancy titles. And I used to work like that. But I've realized that it's our job to stay level-headed and to take the emotion out of it. So they need you to be the leader and lead the company in a stable way. So you don't owe them something because they did get paid for the work that they did and you've provided them with a stable income. And if you're not careful, you'll project that perception out into the world and then they could feel like you owe them something too. Not because they thought that in the first place, because you've told them to believe that. So not feeling like I owed my colleagues three cherry pies before I ate one bite is one of the hardest, hardest mindset shifts that I've had to make. But it's your job to strike that balance, to make sure that you get paid yourself and then you don't resent it. And that there's room to grow their pay sensibly. So don't reward staff too early. Even if you're feeling the guilt, there's no rush. The best thing to do is plan it out and increment it based on performance to make sure you have a stable business. Number five, this is probably one of the most important things ever. You need to upgrade your money mindset. So even now I have to work on this, I'm working on this often, and especially when it comes to money. So you've got to work on it through every ceiling. So when you get to six figures, then you've got to break through that barrier to seven figures and so on. And if you've got staff, you've got to realize that it's your responsibility to break through that ceiling for the money coming into the whole company. As an entrepreneur, you have to believe that it's possible to get that kind of money into the business. And that's one of your main roles, belief. Number six, know your value. So you're taking a big risk here. You're not self-employed anymore. Your income is no longer guaranteed. So you have to work hard to make those sales in the first place and provide a good service. And they say, don't they, that the greater the risk, the greater the reward. So really take some time to understand the value that you're bringing to your business, especially if you've got team members. What is it that you actually bring to the table? And get really clear on that and know it to your core. Because you can get some superstars in, you can forget what value you're bringing, even though you're bringing an awful lot, you just need to step back and remember what it is. It's so important that you hold on to that value that you're bringing to the company every day, because this will really help you when it comes to your money mindset and making sure that you get what you deserve. And the last point, number seven, you do need to leave money in to grow. So I feel like I've talked a lot about paying yourself and taking money out, which is important to do. But it is important to leave money in the company as well to help it grow. So this could mean investing in team members, but if you take out all of the money, then you're going to cause yourself issues with cash flow, especially in a seasonal education business, and you're not going to have the money in the company needed to grow. 
if you get to the point where you really need a VA, then you need to have some of that money in. But what's important to do is make sure that you've put some aside for profit, you've put some aside for your wage, and you've put some aside to make sure that you can afford team members when the right time is. So I hope this episode has been insightful. I know at the beginning I went quite deep on my personal story and my struggles around creating what I thought was a profitable business because Classroom Secrets has always had a profit, but it all depends on the mindset sometimes. So the key thing here is that profit is what you say it is. So when Classroom Secrets had the most money it has ever had in the bank, people who knew me would comment on how well the company was doing They obviously didn't know the financials, but they knew that we'd grown a lot. And I would reply with, it's doing okay. And that's because I left it all in the company and it didn't feel like my money because it wasn't. And I didn't know what I was aiming for and I didn't have a goal for what I should get out of it. And now I do. And I hope if you don't yet, you will do soon. So I think this is a good time to mention that I'm opening up a limited number of one-to-one mentoring slots for the new academic year. So sessions will run from September 2021 to July 2022. And at the moment, I'm just collating a list of people who might be interested. So if you want to get on that list and find out more information when I open it up, then just go to educationbusinessclub.co.uk forward slash mentoring 2021. Thank you for listening to the Education Business Podcast. To get more information to grow your business, sign up at educationbusinessclub.co.uk.